basic human needs are and how to take care of them in a survival situation? If not, then be sure to stay tuned, because in this episode, you are going to learn about 5 must-have skills for staying alive in the wild. Welcome back to another episode of the Survival Fitness Plan. We cover what you need in order to survive dangerous situations and go through the best methods of training in order to keep you fit. Subscribe to the channel now and enable notifications so you never miss out on any of our latest episodes as soon as they're uploaded. Let's get started. Finding drinking water. A person can survive up to several weeks without food, but only three days without water. The threat of dying from dehydration makes the ability to find drinking water an extremely important skill. To begin with, search for a natural water source such as a stream or creek. To help locate it, Try standing still and listening to your surroundings for a little while. Another sign of water is when there are lots of animals around, since animals tend to live near water sources. But remember, just because an animal can drink it, doesn't mean you can. Boiling water is a simple and effective way of preparing it for human consumption. Fire starting. The ability to build a fire in survival situations has a lot of benefits. You can use it for cooking, purifying water, keeping yourself warm, warding off predators, and signaling for help. Being able to start a fire without a match or lighter is an essential skill. A few ways to do this is with a flint and steel, using the plow method, or with the bow and drill method. Wilderness Survival Shelter Hypothermia in a survival situation is a serious problem, and a good shelter is your primary way to combat it. It is important to know how to build different wilderness survival shelters. Here are the two most common which are fairly easy to construct. The lean-to. This shelter is called a lean-to because it comprises leaning building materials against a wall, a fallen tree, or a rock face. It can also be freestanding, in which two materials will lean against each other, forming an A-shaped shelter. However, this type of shelter does not offer 360 degrees of protection, and also, it is not very water-resistant. The round lodge. This type of shelter is more commonly known as a teepee or a wikiup. A round lodge is harder to make than the lean-to, but it offers more protection because it encircles the person inside. It comprises of many branches leaning against each other to create a circle-shaped shelter. Survival Navigation A quality compass is an essential bit of kit anytime you plan on entering the wilderness. Here are some tips that you may find helpful to find your way back to civilization without a compass. Look for high ground. Going to the highest point on a mountain will help you see where you are going or where you need to go. Follow the sun. The sun always moves from east to west. Using the sun, you can make a simple compass to help you find your way out of the woods faster. Follow the water. All existing civilizations depend on water for their survival. Using this logic, following a water source, such as a river, has a high probability of leading you back to civilization. First aid. Getting injured during a survival situation can be very serious. A simple wound will make you vulnerable to infection, while bone and joint injuries will make you immobile. If you are planning to go on a hike or camping, always make sure you take a first aid kit. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode all about basic survival skills. What other skills do you think are essential for staying alive in the wild? Get involved and let us know in the comments section below. If you enjoyed this episode and found it useful, remember to like it and comment. Also, don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications so you never miss out on our future uploads.
Thanks for tuning in and see you again soon in the next episode. Hi, and welcome to another uh, rant by me, Sam Fury. Sorry about the noise. I did. Bro- I usually record these in the morning when it's a bit quieter, and I did. But then after I'd finished recording it, I discovered I forgot to press record or I just missed the button with my thumb or whatever. And as I say that, I look down to make sure it's recording, and it is. Yeah. Anyway, I'm still here in Puerto Vallarta. It's another sunny, sunny day. Haven't had a drop of rain here for the last three weeks. I got about another week left, and then I'm off to Mexico City for a couple of weeks, or just under a couple of weeks. And then after that, assuming the world doesn't shut down again because of this new uh, Corona variant, the Omnitrex or whatever the hell it's called. I'll be uh, heading on to Colombia. We'll see what happens. I'm still waiting for the Philippines to open because that's where I live usually. Uh, but because I'm not technically a resident or I don't really have a resident visa there, I would have to enter as a tourist. Uh, it's been shut to me for a long, long time. And Australia, well, I'm a citizen of Australia, but that's been shut for a while as well. Obviously, um, I could always, if I wanted to spend buckets of money i could go back there i just have to catch a plane and then quarantine it would probably cost about 10 to fifteen thousand dollars which i don't want to spend because once i'm there then they don't let you out which is another thing so and i don't know if i could just stay there for months and months and months on end just one month is good enough for me oh well anyway last night we went to this uh there's a famous thing here it's like the glowing lake uh I forget what it's called, it, but it, it's a lake that glows. And basically it's just organisms in the ocean. And I think it's like their defense mechanism is like they glow, right? But they only glow when you move your hand in it or whatever, or move whatever. Right? So it wasn't really what I was expecting from the pictures and that. I saw, I didn't read up on it at all. I just like, oh yeah, we'll go on that tour. And we went on the tour. And then uh, the whole lake was dark and then they stopped the boat. And they're like, all right, you can jump in now. And I was like, there's nothing glowing here. But then I realized they have like a little house, not a little house, like a tent on the water, like a canvas enclosure, right? Like a greenhouse or whatever. Uh, so it's completely dark. And then you go in there and you move around and you can see them all really well. Uh, and outside you can see them a little bit, but not as much. And the water is nice and warm. It's like a thermal lake, apparently, uh, with a bit of sulfur, very good for your health, so they say. And uh, yeah, it was just nice to look up at the stars and it was cool. Uh, I don't really usually like taking tours like that, but I think this was one thing. You could do it by yourself. You could get a rent a car or a motorbike and then go there and then just rent the boat, right? But we just took the tour. Uh, it was nice. It was cool. So, yeah, that's what we've been doing. That's what I've been doing this week. Um, other than that, just the normal stuff, going to the beach, going to the market, uh, all that sort of stuff, yeah. Um, let's see, today's subject was five basic survival skills. Um, obviously there's lots of survival skills that one should try to learn, right? But today we just focused on five. They're not by any means the most important. I'd say they're pretty up there though, to be fair. Uh, usually when people talk about the main survival skills there, it's, it's these five and maybe another couple of others like, uh, rescue or whatever is included. But the five we took on today were uh, water, fire, shelter, navigation, and uh, first aid.
So these are basically the five things that I, uh, for those of you that were listening, especially my first season of the podcast, which was uh, just me talking <laughs> while I was at summer camp, right? And my job at summer camp was uh, to teach kids survival skills. So I basically taught them all these things, right? In like a very friendly way. Not hardcore at all, not like bear grills, drinking your own pee sort of stuff. It was more just like, oh, start a fire with a ferrule rod sort of thing, you know? Anyway, so we'll go through them. So the drinking water one, uh, I didn't really get a chance to do it. I had it in my plan to do it with them, but I didn't. And I think if I go back again, I'll, I'll definitely try to put it in this time because it is quite important. Uh, originally, I was going to be like, oh, build a solar still. But, ah, and that's probably what put me off it because I didn't want to build solar stills, right? And they're not that super effective anyway. Um, they reckon that if you, you're in the desert and you build a solar still, you'll expend more energy than you'll be able to get back. So it's not worth it. But, I mean, if I was in the... I'd probably try it. Anyway, enough of that. So uh, I guess the best way is to just find fresh water, right? You find a river or a lake or whatever. And, of course, you can't just drink it straight away. Well, maybe some of it... Sometimes you can, right? If you're really desperate and it's, like, really fast-moving water. But you might get sick and that would be terrible. You will look back into that at first aid. But uh, you find the water and then um, you got to purify it, right? So boiling is usually the best way to do that. I think like three minutes, but if you're in higher altitude, you have to boil it for longer or something like that. I'm never in that high altitude, so it doesn't really matter. Well, of course it matters, but uh, I haven't instilled it in my mind because I'm, anyway, exactly how long, just boil it for a while, right? And so it's my general concern, just boil it. You want to be extra safe, boil it for five minutes, okay? And then uh, to kill all the organisms. Of course, you want to filter it first and uh, you can do that a number of ways like just passing it through cloth and different things like start with rocks and then move on to something finer fine and then eventually it's like sand or whatever and then it filters through right and then i saw this post on uh some group facebook group some wilderness uh camping kind of facebook group and he had what he had done and i've never seen this before but it makes sense and i'm gonna try it to see if it actually works he had two buckets right one filled up with kind of dirty water like visibly dirty water and uh, that's elevated and then the other one is next to it and then to join the two, he put just like a piece of cloth, right? Like a, uh, just a handkerchief or something. And I guess just like a siphon, it, uh, after like 20 or 30 minutes or whatever, the water will slowly go down through the cloth into the empty bucket, which will, and it'll be clean, right? Now, I'm not saying that it'll be clean drinking wise, like, but it's visibly clean. Probably still has a bunch of microorganisms in it, right? So, uh, and then from there, I guess the easiest thing or the most accessible, if you don't have like uh, a life straw or the little tablets or whatever, is to just use the sodas method, which is you just put it in the sun, right, for a while. Um, and the sodas method is really cool. They, I know that they use it in a lot of, like Africa and the Philippines and that because it's a very economical way to purify uh lots of water so all you really need for those of you that don't know how to do sodas all you really need is a plastic bottle like an empty coke bottle like a one liter empty coke bottle right pet bottles they call it but it has to be clear can't use like the you know the milk ones are like cloudy no no, no. you got to use a clear one make sure you wash it fill it up with the visibly clean water okay you don't want to use like muddy water if you got muddy water you want to filter it out right 
and then uh, you put it in the in that, and then you just leave it in the sun for like six hours or eight hours or a while. And if it's a sunny, sunny, sunny day, it could be less time. But if it's like cloudy or whatever, it needs to be more time. Maybe you need like 48 hours in the sun, right? And uh, because the UV rays kill all the microorganisms. And that's why uh, it's always good to hang your clothes out in the sun, right? Uh, in Australia, that's a very, very common thing. I know in America, you guys use a lot of energy on dryers, right? Because I, for some reason, I heard this on Dr. Carl, which is like a triple J scientist every Thursday, right? <laughs> He's my, more, like one of the only podcasts I listen to. And, um, oh, except this one, of course, you gotta listen to this podcast. <laughs> and, um, so you, yeah, Australians hang the clothes in the thing, but, uh, because apparently in America, if you're using a clothesline, it denotes that you're poorer. I don't know. I mean, I can understand why that came along when they first invented dryers in the 60s or whatever it was, right? And then by the 80s, everyone would have had one. If you don't have one, well, then you're poor. It's like not having a television, right? But in reality, hanging them on a clothesline is much, much, much better. Not only is it better for the environment, and it'll save you a bunch of money on your power bill because dryers suck up a lot of power, like a refrigerator, right? And then... The sun actually disinfects your clothes, and that's why it smell. You can like people say, "Oh, my clothes smell sunny," right? It's, uh, like if you hang dry something and it's not in the sun, which I'm doing in Mexico at the moment. You hang dry, it's not in the sun. Hang drying is still better because it's, but you don't like the sun is not hitting it. So if you um, if you have no detergent or whatever, right, and you got dirty shirts, you just like wash it in water and then just hang it in the sun. You can even not even wash it in water. You can just like frame it that and just hang it in the sun and it'll be like somewhat clean, right? Not visibly, like it's not gonna get visible. Not. Anyway, I've been ranting on about water for a while and we've gone way off subject. Okay, let's get to the next one, which is fire starting. Now in the camp, I was using just like uh, ferro rods with them, right? And that was pretty cool. But uh, what I would like to do with the next time is use a, a friction method, right? Uh, I don't know if I'd be able to, because you only got like 45 minutes or whatever for the lesson. So I don't know if I'll be able to like get them to make the thing. And that's pretty hard too, I reckon. So, and they're only little kids. I don't want to give them knives and stuff. Although I do give them like little pairing knives, but they're super blunt. And then um, to do the ferro sticks anyway. And then, so to make like the bow and drill would be cool because I think a few of them would actually be able to get that. And then maybe also have a bit of a few harder ones is like the, the hand drill method they can try that get some blisters or like the plow method they can try that and i saw this other one again on a facebook group and i've never tried it before i've never even seen it before but they get like the tinder nest or whatever some version of a tinder nest and just put it between two bits of wood right and then just like aggressively go up and down up and down up and down with the two bits of wood and then eventually it'll create enough heat and the bit of tinder will kind of go on uh create an ember so we can try that too, that's pretty cool. Ah, okay, wilderness shelters. By far the easiest one is the lean-to. Uh, that's what I would make, if um, unless I have heaps of time. Like the first night, right, you're gonna make a lean-to, and then once you've got everything sorted out, you're gonna try to make something a bit better. Even the kids make some awesome lean-to. It's only 45 minutes, and they just go into the forest, get what they need. I tell them, don't pick anything live, right? Uh, but in reality, like if it was a real survival situation, I probably, I wouldn't really care that much. And uh, just lean it up against the building or a tree or whatever you got. If it's uh, obviously there's no building in the wild, but at the camp there's buildings, and then uh, or a log or whatever. And some of them, if you make it 
I, I remember like you say just do it and they do it and some of them do it some of that but then there's like a competition day and the competition's like shelter building competition and they do it and you time them and then you say what someone's gonna win and they really get into it and they build like awesome shelters and then you put them inside and throw water on it and see if they get wet ah it's cool anyway so lean to shelters it's pretty cool and then to cover it up like to make it waterproof you put leaves or whatever on top of it right uh yeah uh survival navigation uh, I guess the most basic method is the sun, right? Rises in the east, sets in the west. So you just look to see where that is and then you figure out. You can use, I used to tell, show them the sun shadow method. So like we go for a little trek somewhere and then I put a stick in the ground where it's nice and sunny and then you mark the edge of the shadow, right? And then you go do something for 20 minutes, half an hour, uh, some kind of activity. And then you come back and you mark where the shadow is again, right? And then those two points are east to west, roughly. And then, of course, if you intersect them, it's north to east. I mean, north and south, right? So now you know north, east, south, west, around about. So it's not going to be perfect, obviously. And then, so uh, so that's one way. And then, of course, there's all these other little telltale signs that, uh, depending on where you are in the world, right? Like, um, for instance, moss grows on the south side or the north side, depending on which hemisphere you're on. Um, the prevailing winds usually at this certain time of day will always come from the same direction. Not always, but you know, it's pretty, pretty often like off the sea and stuff like that. So if you know where the sea is and the prevailing winds in the afternoon come off the sea, then you know, if you feel the wind, you know, okay, that's roughly this way or whatever. Uh, and things like that. Now there's a whole bunch of these things. And the key thing to remember is including with the sun method, because maybe, you know, oh, it's a Northwest, it's a North South line, but do you know which one's North, which one's South? I mean, you can figure it out, obviously, but maybe you don't, or map to ground, you know, you know who something is, but you're not 100% sure. So you use a, a bunch of these things. I would say use at least, at least two, preferably at least three or four, right? And if three or four of these mittens are saying this is north or this is whatever direction, then you can be pretty confident that it's right. But if you just go off one, it's easy to get it wrong, right? You could be walking in the wrong direction. So that's with survival navigation. And of course, there's always that thing about making your own compass, right? You get a little piece, a little needle or whatever and rub it on, a, on your skin or uh, on a magnet. If you happen to find those things out in the wild, maybe you got a broken radio with a magnet radio, speaker radio, whatever. Uh, with the magnet inside the speaker, I mean. Okay, and the last one is first aid. Now, the, when I did my wilderness first aid courses, I think the main thing I always keep in mind is that no matter how small an injury is in the wild, it can become very bad very quickly. And uh, yeah, so now you get a little cut at home, right? Bleeds a little, whatever. You can you wash it and then you put a Band-Aid over it, you're done. Um, and even if you don't put the Band-Aid, you're taking a shower every day, it's whatever, and it's good, right? And then even if you don't do that and it gets infected, well, you go to the doctor and you get a pill. Okay. Now, if you're in the wild and you get a cut, and first of all, it's very, like, you get dirty quickly in the wild, and there's lots of stuff that's going to attack your wound, okay? So you got to keep it clean. And if you don't keep it clean and it gets infected, well, it can become very bad. Not only is it, like, incredibly sore, but then you could get, you could end up getting systemic infection and then kill you just from a cut. And it doesn't really take that long, right? So if you get injured in the wild, uh, make sure you take care of it very well right from the start because you don't want to uh, 
little little problems become big problems quite quickly in the wild. Okay, and that's about it. I hope you enjoy this week's episode of our podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I don't know if you're going to like a podcast, but you can definitely subscribe and leave a comment. Um, yeah, share it with your friends or whatever. And uh, if you want to learn more about wilderness survival, there is a, a book, iBook, Sam Fury's book, called Evasive Wilderness Survival Techniques by Sam Fury. If you want to buy it from Amazon or wherever you can, or you can get it on special uh like it's cheaper f- directly from our website, my the sister website of the Survival Sister Plan, which is sfnonfictionbooks.com. So you go to SF for uh, Survival Fitness or Sam Fury at SF, sfnonfictionbooks.com forward slash evasive dash wilderness dash survival dash techniques. And uh, you can buy it from there and you... Uh, depending on when you're actually listening to this, you might get a bunch of bonuses, but at the very least, it'll be discounted. And uh, there you go. Uh, yeah, hope you have a good uh, week, and I'll speak to you again in a week, more or less. Adios.